Hey Lance, it's 2023 and I'm so excited to... Chris, you there? Be an exciting series for sure. You kind of cut out there for a second. Cut out? Oh, that's weird. My microphone seems to be working. Seriously? Again? Chris? I'd as well start over. This is weird. Would you say I'm phasing in and out? Is this a Kitty Pride reference? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't help it. Okay, okay. Very clever. But no more of that. <laughs> okay, no problem. I promise I'm done with... Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And welcome to 2023. And today we're talking about Catherine Kitty Pride, one of my favorite, favorite X-Men characters. Yeah, we, we figured that we would start the year out strong, bringing back another one of our favorite teams in the X-Men. And so... Chris wanted to uh, cover Shadow Cat, so we're going to dive right in. Yeah, and I think Kitty Pride is one of those characters that I think it's hard not to like her. I mean, I know some people might be like, eh, she's too plain. But but I think because she was that kind of entry character for a lot of people reading the X-Men, whether in the 80s or through the video game or through the terrible pilot that they made in the 80s. <laughs> um, she is just this kind of endearing representational role model that is such a great character that so many writers have enjoyed writing for and and telling their stories. So we're going to get into that, but let's go over some bio information for Kitty. Catherine Ann Kate Pride is a prominent member of the X-Men, co-created by John Byrne and Chris Claremont for Marvel Comics. She possesses phasing abilities that allow her to move through solid objects. Since her introduction in 1980, Kitty was written as a kid sister to many members of the group, acting as the most human member of the team in terms of growth. She was a female role model and acted as a wish fulfillment for kids that wanted to be in the X-Men. As Shadowcat, Kitty was a founding member of the British mutant group Excalibur, often joining the X-Men after sense of trying to be a normal woman. She's been a headmistress of Xavier's school and leader of the X-Men's new gold team. Recently, she formed the mutant raiding group, the Marauders, who rescue mutants from non-amicable nations. And she's been in a lot of titles over her history. The uh, first appearance was Uncanny X-Men 129, uh, right before Dazzler, oddly enough, like one issue. But uh, for most of her existence, she's been appearing in Uncanny X-Men throughout the years. But she was also in a miniseries, Kitty Pride and Wolverine, where she got the name Shadowcat. Uh, she was a, like you said, a founding member of Excalibur. She had a brief miniseries called Kitty Pride, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I feel like so many characters have been Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yes, I love it. Uh, she was a in the Age of Apocalypse. She was one of the instructors of Generation Next. Uh, she was in a short Chris Claremont led college storyline called Mechanics. She was a main character in Astonishing X-Men for a while. She was a headmistress in Wolverine and the X-Men. Uh, she was in all new X-Men. She was in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I can't wait to talk about later. And then they had a, a little spinoff called Star-Lord and Kitty Pride. 
She was a the leader of the team in X-Men Gold. And then finally, she has sort of taken the helm of a ship in Marauders. That's that a is a lot of different series. And often she's been like the main character or the leader of the team in a lot of these series, which which kind of says a lot about, you know, what kind of character she is. So uh, let's go over her origin. A Jewish American mutant from outside of Chicago, Catherine Kitty Pride had her powers manifest when she was 13. She was initially approached from Emma Frost, the white queen of the Hellfire Club, who impressed her parents. Shortly after, she was approached from Professor Xavier and had some time with Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine, but they were suddenly captured and tortured by members of the Hellfire Club. With the help of other X-Men and fellow new recruit Dazzler, she rescued the captured X-Men and escaped from the Hellfire Club. That might not be the greatest selling point is if you're trying to recruit someone and they know that you have abducted the other recruiters and tortured them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it kind of said a lot about like uh, Emma Frost at the time. And it, it, what I love about that, too, is the writers remember that sort of that relationship that Kitty and Emma have, which comes back in a big way in Astonishing X-Men because they have this long hatred of like, oh, I don't really trust you. And and it's it's interesting how their relationship is kind of played out. Uh, those two in particular with Emma joining the X-Men years later. Another side note that I thought was interesting that was it's a little bit more about Jean Grey is Kitty's parents only knew that Kitty went to a soda shop with Xavier students and then were upset with Xavier when they heard that the soda shop exploded and Kitty went missing. So Jean Grey, on the verge of becoming controlled by Jason Wingard in the beginnings of the Dark Phoenix storyline, erased Kitty's parents' memories and planted false ones that Xavier is a great guy. And Kitty was then allowed to join Xavier's school and become the youngest member of the X-Men. So Kitty Pride wouldn't have joined the X-Men if Jean Grey wasn't slowly becoming evil, which is a weird thing <laughs> uh, to think about. If that didn't happen, then she would have been like, yeah, I'll join. Uh, I'll join with Emma Frost and her thing. And so Hellfire Club is cool. Yeah, it's got a cool name. Stranger Things has taught us that it's really cool. Yeah, Stranger Things has been made good t-shirts. Uh, she initially took the code name Sprite from a suggestion from Storm and became an integral, if not controversial, member of the team for being so young. After several missions during the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries, she was possessed by the demon ninja Ogun, who bestows on Kitty a lifetime of martial arts training because... That's what you do when you're an evil demon. And he, she is sent to assassinate Wolverine. She overcomes his sway with Wolverine's help and defeats Ogun. No longer the innocent girl from before, she takes on the codename Shadowcat. They never, especially Claremont, they, they never let you forget that Kitty is the youngest member of the team. It is a constant, every single new issue it's always yeah. something like, and Kitty did this, but remember, she's the young one. Or remember, yeah. she's the newest member. It's constant. Yeah, and like, uh, she's only a little girl, and she she's so impressionable. But but I, I like with that storyline in particular, and, and, and that's kind of where we're, we're going to stop the origin, because after that, she kind of goes back to the X-Men, and other things happen, and these future past and everything. But, but from that relationship on, she has this kind of mentor-student relationship with Wolverine 
And it's one of the it's one of the earlier ones that Wolverine has because he he's kind of taken that on with a few people with Rogue when we talked about Rogue later with Jubilee, like, uh, you know, and armor in, later on. So it's kind of interesting how Wolverine kind of takes this this mentor kind of status um, with with, you know, people that like kind of have to prove themselves in a in a fighting stance and like a melee fighter kind of thing. But, you know, it's, it's like, oh, let's give her a bunch of ninja powers. <laughs> sure ding <laughs> let's works. have her be possessed and yeah it's a quick way of doing that instead of having her train you know fast forward get through the montage we don't need more training <laughs> montages i know i know kung fu all right a little bit about the character Catherine kate pride's aliases include Catherine, kitty cat kate kitten katya Cutson nicknames include Sprite, Ariel, Shadowcat, Star Lady, Star Lord, Red Queen, and Captain Kate Pride. Affiliations, uh, of course, we have the X-Men, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, but only briefly, the Quiet Council of Krakoa, the Hellfire Trading Company, Guardians of the Galaxy, and S.H.I.E.L.D. Supporting characters include Lockheed, an alien dragon, X-Men, Pyotr, Rasputin, so Colossus, uh, Aurora Monroe, Storm, Ileana Rasputin, Magic, Doug Ramsey, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Peter Quill, Bobby Drake, and Pete Wisdom. Antagonists, of course, are going to be Emma Frost, every single villain in the X-Men franchise, uh, <laughs> yeah. William Stryker, Ord, Shadow King, the Morlocks, and Ogun. Among many others. Among so many. X-Men has the unending list of villains. <laughs> Those are ones that kind of just uh, pop out uh, as, as being some of the main ones that we've come across in our research. Yeah, there is a, a book that I forget the title of it, but it's like unfortunate or like the worst heroes and worst villains. There's two different books. And I guarantee you like half of the worst villains of like Marvel comics is just like X-Men villains. Oh yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got some, they've got some, uh, morts for sure. <laughs> yeah. A few, <laughs> some pretty, uh, some pretty lame ones, but they're, but they sure are fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, or right, let's talk about some of her abilities. Cause th this is actually, I, su once again, I surprised myself by, you know, looking into her history and I'm just like, Oh wow. I didn't know. She got to this level, you know, that was just one of the fun things about the show is like learning new things about characters you thought you knew so much about. So, of course, her main power is intangibility and there's different phases to this. <laughs> uh, she has projective intangibility, intangible disruption, which means she can like go through mechanics and things like that and like phase and mess up a robot or mess up somebody's internal whatever. Uh, she can intangibly travel through objects. And she can do self intangibility, which, you know, just changing the molecular density of herself. Um, but projective intangibility, I think, is is basically making something else intangible. So she could grab somebody and like phase them through as well. Her, her power set, just this, that alone makes her an unbelievably powerful mutant. Like you cannot contain her pretty much. Although I it did see that in her early stages... There are some strong metals, vibranium, adamantium, um, metals from alien cultures and stuff that as she went through them, it hurts. It hurts her. 
Um, and there are some things that, you know, it's harder for her to maintain that concentration. And there's moments where she was depowered or lost her powers or kind of had to regain control. So it wasn't, I think the writers were like, well, she, well, she, we gotta, we gotta bring her down. <laughs> like she's way too powerful. Let's, let's kind of scale it back or give her something where she has to work up to it again. In addition to the intelligibility, she has a gifted intellect. She was taking college level classes when we first met her at 13. She is a skilled martial artist. She has uh, knowledge of applied computer science. She's a professional level dancer in ballet and modern dance. She speaks fluent English, Russian, Japanese, Shi'ar, scroll, and moderate Gaelic, Hebrew, and German. She has a mental and empathic connection with her dragon Lockheed. And when she used the Black Vortex as a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, her powers were augmented to a cosmic scale, making her a godlike being, able to phase through any material of any density, as well as transverse between the planes of the multiverse. That's so cool. This is like that moment where when we did the rogue research and I was and we found out she was like basically just could never die and didn't have to eat anything. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's crazy. Like she can, tra- you know, phase through time and space, which is which is crazy. Yeah, researching for this episode really made me want to read her Guardians run. Same. That has been scaled back a little bit. It, it, that's a because she looks way different when she's in that that form, and when she was with Peter Quill, like he was even like, I'm not going to let you, you know let this power take hold of you and we're going to kind of we're going to pull it in and and obviously she's come back to earth and she's a little bit more you know she's more human and everything but it's never like it's never said that it's been completely gone gone so maybe that that power is still there maybe it's it's dormant or it's going to come back in some way so it's it's kind of interesting um with uh with her godlike abilities (laughs) Uh, I mean, who hasn't been a god in the Marvel Universe? <laughs> Especially members of the X-Men. Multiple X-Men have become god-level characters. Yeah, phoenixes and yeah, I mean, like, it's it's, it's all good. It's all god. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've gone through all of her powers, let's go... Into the Archives! Kitty Pride was created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Now, we've actually covered Chris Claremont's history in our Rogue episode, so be sure to go check that out. So we're going to focus specifically just on John Byrne here. I, I can't believe we haven't talked about John Byrne. We have. Like, well, we've talked about him, but I can't believe we haven't talked about his, like, him, like, as a creator. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, he what? has popped up <laughs> and probably, if, if we type in a creator's name into all of our notes that we have. John Byrne possibly pops up more than any <laughs> other creator that we've that we've talked about, period. Yeah. But we haven't done the deep dive yet because we haven't done one of his specific character creations slash co-creations. Yeah. So this is that first dive into John Byrne. He was first exposed to the comic book world through George Reeves' Adventures of Superman series on BBC while living in England as a child. In 1962... Byrne discovered Marvel Comics in Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four, Issue 5. Kirby's work would have a strong influence on Byrne, as well as the work of Neil Adams. Byrne attended the Alberta College of Art and Design, where he created, quote-unquote, Gay Guy for the college newspaper. Hmm. The superhero was meant to be a parody character intended to jest at stereotypical views of homosexuality among art students, 
uh, on that campus. Turns out that this character ended up being the prototype for John Byrne's uh, later Alpha Flight creation, Snowbird. Interesting. Okay. During his time in college, Byrne published his first comic book, ACA Comics with an X, number one, featuring the Death's Head Knight. Byrne would drop out of college in 1973 to pursue a career in comics after breaking into the industry with a fan art gallery piece in Foom by Marvel in 1974. Okay, okay. Look, if you get a fan art published in a Marvel book, don't drop out of college. I mean, I know it's the 70s. Don't don't do it. But that's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it, it worked out for him. That's like... Hey, I got I got a hundred thousand views on TikTok. I'm quitting my job. Like, don't do that. <laughs> it's different times now, Chris. Different times. Uh, you know, the '70s were. Uh, it's all about hopes and dreams. <laughs> you could take chances back then. Now you cannot yeah. because rent is too expensive. Yeah. He moved on to freelance work for Charlton Comics, where he would have his color comics debut with the E-Man backup story Rog Two Thousand. Colleagues Roger Stern and Bob Layton named the robot character created by Byrne and would use him in the fanzine CPL, Contemporary Pictorial Literature. Byrne would go on to work on various titles for Charlton Comics, which caught the attention of Chris Claremont over at Marvel. His first professional comic book sale was the short story Dark Asylum, which would later be used as filler in Giant Size Dracula issue 5 in June of 1975 by Marvel. Byrne continued his work for Marvel with the Champions and Marvel team-up, where he would draw the X-Men for the first time in issue 53. Byrne joined Claremont on X-Men issue 108. Shortly after, the series would be renamed the Uncanny X-Men with issue 114, which would also serve as the start of Byrne co-plotting the series on top of penciling. The duo would go on to create some of the most prolific X-Men narratives of all time, including the Dark Phoenix saga. This iconic storyline began in issue 129 of The Uncanny X-Men, which was released in January of 1980. This issue would also serve as the first appearance of the Hellfire Club, Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and of course, Kitty Pryde. I mean, yeah, just just that issue alone is crazy with the, the appearances. There's so much going on in that issue. It is wild. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an idea of other creations and co-creations from John Byrne, that includes... Alpha Flight, Scott Lang, Mariko Yashida, Mr. Immortal, Omega Red, Pyro, Swarm, and Sabretooth. That's, that is a serious list. He has not only done stuff for Marvel, but like he's, he's done such iconic runs on a lot of comics, including Fantastic Four. Uh, Superman, I think was one of my favorite sort of relaunches of a, of a book when when he took over superman uh she hulk we've talked about like his run on she hulk was was amazing and and kind of iconic with just the you know she hulk would make fun of him like <laughs> breaking this breaking the fourth wall and everything um he did some great stuff on namor in in the 90s which we talked about and he had a fantastic run on iron man so uh and and he also did a batman story i mean like he he's done such iconic uh stuff um on various titles even though he didn't make a lot of those but i think just because his from from an art standpoint i think what drew me in to john byrne is as an artist is because it's it's very like it's kind of that perfect meld between the anatomy is really striking and kind of hyper realistic while also being slightly exaggerated 
you know, and uh, yeah. and it just has a very like almost almost animated style. Like the eyes are a little bigger than, you know, like they, you can kind of see their eyes a little bit more and their faces are so expressive. I mean, if you look at the covers of the Dark Phoenix storyline, everybody's like, ah, you know, and uh, it's just it has this another level of like pain and anguish and surprise and everything. And also when they're having fun, uh, the art is just just pops off the, the page. It's it's fantastic. Something funny that I found out was that in 1986, when there was the relaunch of DC Superman franchise, that Byrne was the first person ever to do a variant cover. Oh, yeah. So the first the first comic variant ever done was for Superman by Byrne. That's interesting. Fun fact. There we go. That's what that's what we're here for to teach everybody <laughs> fun facts. Additionally, with with having to do with Kitty Pride, she was actually named after a classmate of John Burns from the Alberta College of Art and Design. But she wasn't the biggest fan of getting all the attention. She she approved him using her name, but she got so much attention from it that she actually later she now goes by KD pride, <laughs> like the letters K, <laughs> the letter D. So K period D period pride. Wow. A kitty was also drawn to resemble an adolescent Sigourney Weaver. And her personality is influenced by the daughter of X-Men editor, Louise Simonson, her, her daughter, Julie. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Well, now that we've talked about the creators, let's uh, dive right into the pull list. So Chris, what do you got? There was a lot to go with. And kind of like you said, um, this research has made me want to read more stuff. And I haven't gotten the chance to really delve into things post um, the Jonathan Hickman run on X-Men. So I haven't read the Marauders yet, which I have a feeling I'm really going to like because everything I've read about it, I'm like, oh, that sounds super cool. And just the the lineup of former villains and heroes that are in that team that that Kate pride is leading sounds awesome. So I only kind of based it on what I've read, which for me, the best story that represents who Kitty can be is uh, astonishing X-Men. Uh, and specifically two of the runs within there gifted, which is issues one through six, where we kind of follow her as the she's coming back into the team after being in college and kind of being out of the superhero gig for a while. And she gets asked to come back and we sort of follow her as the, uh, you know, returning to the X-Men and we see some cool shots. Uh, John Cassidy, who did the art, does this really cool thing where he, he kind of takes some shots of, of panels from the past. Like when she's like, professor Xavier is a jerk, you know, that's famous uh, cover and and she kind of she's like re remembering that and like other moments that have happened in the past. It's really cool. But then it kind of follows her throughout this, you know, kind of coming back into the X-Men fold. And 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 then when she uh, at some point, this is a little spoiler for the storyline, but at some point they find that Colossus, who has been thought dead for several years at this point, is is actually alive and. And they've had this, you know, off and on again, sort of relationship, romantic entanglement. Um, it's it's a big deal. And it's kind of like, oh, uh oh, uh, what does this mean? And it's kind of this whole thing with 
Kitty and 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 how she goes through. But also in the unstoppable short section of this run, um, which is issues 19 through 24 and giant size X-Men, uh, giant size, astonishing X-Men number one. She's, you know, again, featured in that, but specifically kind of the end to the story. And this is a spoiler, but just kind of showed this is the first time I, 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 I was just like, oh, my gosh, like this is an incredibly powerful character because basically so the alien break world have decided they need to destroy Earth. And they've done this by shooting a giant bullet, essentially like this huge metal thing that's just going to it's like almost as big as the Earth is. And Kitty phases into it and then she makes it intangible so it passes through the planet earth she basically sacrifices herself because she can't at that point let it hurt anything else and she kind of becomes intangible permanently for a while for a while until you know a couple of years later magneto brings her back blah 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 but it's just this really cool moment, you know, this moment of sacrifice and it's kind of the culmination of the whole run and everything i thought that was just it was like a really cool representation of just like her power and her ability to, to take literally take one for basically how she saved the entire world. Um, and it was it was a very cool moment to read through. It's 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 it is literally astonishing to read, read through that storyline. Going from Kitty saving the world in your run, I'm going to go with one where she saves the world in another uh, I, of course, am talking about Uncanny X-Men issues 141 and 142, Days of Future Past. This story is iconic. It's probably cliche that I'm even picking this story because it's so well known. But I really enjoy this. It takes Kitty when she's only been on the team since issue 129, and she's not even made a member of the X-Men team until issues yeah. later. And so the youngest member of the team at this point in time is given a prominent role in the story where in the future, the majority of the mutants have been killed aside from four or five. They say four, but then Magneto shows up. So there's five left and you have this world where uh, the government has turned against mutant kind uh, has developed the Sentinels and is basically given an eradication order the mutants that are left have dampeners on that do not let them use their powers. So this whole storyline is that uh, Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, and Kitty, and Magneto, Franklin Richards, as well as... Yeah, so Rachel Summers is the one that is able to use her powers to send Kitty back in time. So sending her mind into the body of her younger self when she has just joined the X-Men team. And is meant to tell the, once again, alive members of the X-Men all these horrible things that are going to happen in the distant future of, can you guess it, 2013. Yes, the <laughs> distant future of 2013 where the world is an absolute mess. The storyline shows these horrific things that are happening in the future, as well as the team back in the 80s that is working to prevent this future from occurring. It's a great story kitty is a powerful character you see this strong juxtaposition with her very timid self in the beginning as a teenager and then seeing the mind of her adult self come into her body and how completely different she is 
and the respect that she gets from the team once they realize, oh, this is she is who she says she is. There's one part in there that was super weird that I do want to mention because she's saying who she is and people aren't believing her. And then Wolverine smells her and he he starts to say like all these things like she smells different and then at one point she's like she smells like a woman i'm like whoa whoa dude like <laughs> that's just weird that's a weird thing to include in this storyline uh but yeah that is my choice days of future past and then uh if you want to read another kitty pride story just really quickly the next issue with 143 is that demon storyline it's like oh, a yeah. christmas special issue yeah, which, yeah. Uh, the demon super cool yeah it's yeah. it's awesome yeah, that's the hope you survive the experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of thing. I mean, there's a there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, I, I almost picked X-Men Gold, which is another great one where she is is in leader of the team. And it it's kind of her take on, um, you know, how am I going to make this different? We're going to bring the X-Men back into prominence. We're moving the headquarters to Central Park from Limbo. And let's put on a good face. And, and she's great in that. Uh, that storyline um, I almost picked that but I just I, I really liked how <clears throat> how she was represented in uh, Astonishing so uh, and, and I'm sure that Marauders is also good too and um, there there are some clunkers in her in her in her comics past in terms of storylines um, even ones by Claremont where it's like oh, I don't know about that representation but I think Kitty suffers from like so many people wanted to write for her that you had some that did her a lot of respect. And then you have some that kind of said, Hey, we're going to make her the, you know, kind of unfortunately take advantage of, of the, the, you know, what she represents and everything like that. But, but we're trying to point out things that represent her in a positive light and a good way. And as a role model and, and as somebody that, that kind of stands for something greater than what she is. So, um, yeah, definitely check those out. Um, I, as far as Grail finds, um, I'm sure I have, I, I know I have some astonishing X-Men comics. I have a couple of the uncanny comics that she shows up in. I, I definitely don't have some of the earlier ones, but, but, uh, but I, I have, I think I have some of the ones around like 200 and things like that, that she was in, but, um yeah it, it's i think some of my favorite ones are, are just uh, x-men gold and uh and some of the astonishing ones like the the cover with her and colossus where she's like phasing in and out of him and is, is is really cool yeah it's a great one i don't have any key issues i know i have x-men issues that have kitty in the story but nothing like major no first appearance anything like that all right well let's move on to some random facts Kitty Pride is a devout member of the Jewish faith, and her grandfather was actually a Holocaust survivor. Kate Pride is also confirmed as bisexual. After years of some queer baiting with fleeting looks from Rachel Summers and Ileana Rasputin, and having lots of strong female mentors like Storm and Emma Frost, in Marauders 12, which is pretty recent, Pride shares an innocent kiss with a female tattoo artist after getting tattoos on her knuckles and coming out as Kate pride, changing her name, kind of a new identity. She appears to like the kiss and it kind of confirms that she has uh, always been, or at least kind of going through some, 
changes of, of uh, coming out as bisexual. So it's, it's nice to have some confirmation in that. And while she's not in a relationship currently, and she's definitely had some relationships in the past with Peter Quill and Piotr Rasputin, um, it's interesting to see what they might set up for later. In X-Men The End, there was a series of, of comics called The End, and X-Men had one. Kitty Pride becomes the mayor of Chicago, and later, the president of the United States. Nice. Coming up in the world. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, in the manga X-Men Misfits, Kitty is the only female student recently added into a co-ed version of Xavier's school. And a lot of the attention goes to her as this new female student in an all-male uh, thing and she ends up dating pyro uh, as a member of the fraternity known as the brotherhood <laughs> so mm. it's this whole thing in the ultimate universe kitty actually dates peter parker for a little bit which is kind of cool adorable uh when we see the x babies the B x babies is a one shot uh her version is referred to as shadow kitty which i thought was very cute of course <laughs> she's actually younger as uh, as as uh, than some of the other babies in 2013 for the x-men's 50th anniversary marvel ranked the greatest members of the team and their favorite was none other than kitty pride she beat 49 other mutants out of the top 50 and they basically said out of her entire run she has remained somebody that is just a fantastic female and role model and mutant and uh has become somebody that people look up to and just love to love to read about. So I think that says a lot about, you know, Marvel editors at the time, like picked her as number one. Kitty Pride was the inspiration for Buffy Summers. Lockheed is named after X-Men's Blackbird Jet, which I didn't know. And she's also been engaged twice, but never married. Almost real, real close. Real, real close. Oh, she was also almost forced to marry Caliban from the Morlocks. So I don't know if you call that engagement. So she's almost been married three times. She's been engaged twice and never married. <laughs> oh, At least Lord not King in Christ. main continuity canon. She has been married in like alternate universes, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, that's that's her. Uh, let's talk about adaptations. Lance, I knew what yours was going to be right from when, we, yes. when I was like, oh, yeah, I knew what Lance is going to pick. But go ahead. Yeah. X-Men Evolution. I of freaking course. love that show. And uh, Kitty was one of the main characters of that series, whereas she did not appear in the original X-Men animated series show, which yeah. really surprised me looking back on it. But yeah, she so, never showed up. So, and I know why. It's because so when they made the Pride of the X-Men, which was a pilot for the X-Men animated show, and Kitty was sort of the main character of that as this new character that comes into the X-Men, and it didn't do too well as a pilot. They aired it to some people, and they were like, eh. But the odd thing is that pilot was popular enough to inspire people to make the video game, the six-player X-Men video game, which along with X-Men number one and like the popularity of Jim Lee and Claremont's run, they were like, hey, maybe we should do that. But let's not use Kitty Pride because uh, it didn't do too well on the pilot. So let's bring in Jubilee. And she had also kind of fallen out. She, she wasn't really in the, the current X-Men comics at the time. So they wanted to use somebody that was younger that kind of filled that role. So that's why they brought in Jubilee. And and I don't think she was she was I don't think she was even in the 
uh, 90s X-Men or if she was, it was just like barely mentioned, which was just I th- weird. I, th- I think there's something weird like she's mentioned once but never appears in the cartoon. Yeah, it's random. Anyway, X-Men Evolution. She's great. She's super fun. Uh, yeah. And I, I love the dynamic that she has with the other characters. The uh, there's an episode where you have Rogue and Jean and Kitty that are like walking down the hallway and it's an homage to um, the, Oh my gosh. What is that movie? Mean Girls? The, uh, no, not Mean Girls. It's, it's the one with the witches. Oh, um, uh, the craft, the craft. Yeah. So yeah. the way they're walking is exactly the way the girls from the craft walk down the hallway. It's pretty funny. <laughs> nice. She kind of has a, um, relationship with uh who is it, avalanche the or not avalanche. yeah mm-hmm. yeah is so avalanche? she okay yeah she does and and then of course kurt is always like hitting on her kurt yeah kurt who's trying too hard he's the the goofy younger brother kind of guy but yeah kitty is great in that show and she's got this kind of teeny bopper kind of fun dynamic but i also actually liked her since we're talking about animation i liked her when they redid when they did the wolverine in the x-men show and and it's it's not the same storyline, but it's it kind of takes that character and sort of evolves her a little bit. And, uh, and she's also in the team uh, with with that cartoon as well. But my pick is I thought about this for a while and and I I was going to do like Pride of the X-Men because it, you know, kind of spawned the animated show and everything. But I ended up going with the live action uh uh, Shadow Cat, Kitty Pride um, from Days of Future Past and X-Men The Last Stand. As much as we like to dump on X-Men The Last Stand is not a good movie, but X-Men Days of Future Past was an excellent movie. So it was this interesting kind of thing. And X-Men The Last Stand introduces us to a actually, you know, cast and somebody with lines, a version of Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Shadow Cat. Uh, played by Elliot Page, who at that point was uh, Ellen Page, credited as Ellen Page. Um, so even though she showed up as cameo appearances played by two different actresses in the first two movies, it wasn't until the third movie that she actually got this featured role. And she was endearingly played by Page as a younger, less confident new member of the X-Men team, kind of a classic Kitty style, um, and acted as an alternate love interest to Bobby Drake. But there was kind of this nice scene with with them and Bobby was like unsure about his role and Kitty felt the same way and Rogue saw them and was like oh, I don't know and it caused her whole thing so um and then you know she took on the juggernaut <laughs> in that movie which is a fun scene and she kind of protected uh Leech the, the mutant that they were creating this this drug from um so you know she played a kind of semi-prominent role in 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 that movie um, in Days of Future Past, even though she didn't have a huge role, she had a, a nice nod to the role that she originally played in the comic storyline. She phased Logan back in time to his body. So she kind of played the role that Rachel, Rachel Summers played. Um, and I liked that she had a little bit more control of her powers at that point, um, even though, you know, we didn't see her a lot and she didn't have a lot to say in, in the movie. I, I liked it was super exciting to see her as a full fleshed, you know, character. And I'm hoping that in the next incarnation of the X-Men in the MCU, that we, we have a lot more Kitty Pride and they, they give her the justice of how cool she is because she's such a great character. 
I love Days of Future Past. I was so happy when that movie was good. Uh, just because, you, of course, we always <laughs> want all of the comic book movies yeah. to be good. Uh, the Last Stand did not do us any favors. I I do yeah. enjoy First Class. I I actually really enjoy the First Class. Well, I like First Class. Yeah. Uh, but Days of Future Past was just an, on another level, and it got us to blend the two different uh, time period groups of films that we had together. So it was just a really enjoyable film, and I, I need to rewatch that one soon. I would argue that Days of Future Past kind of did what Spider-Man uh, No Way Home did in yeah. a certain way. It like combined things and everybody was like, what? <laughs> like, this can happen? And it, in a way that it was like, I, no one would have thought this was possible. But the two different sets of actors from two different trilogies. And uh, it was just like, this is pretty cool. And plus, it was just kind of fun to see Magneto go to town and the Sentinels be there was okay we could go on about days of future past but um yeah fun stuff all right are we ready we're ready <laughs> it's time to do one of our favorite segments of the show what, what each issue we do what nerds do best we share our favorite dream concepts for the comics that we love and this issue we decided what if Kitty had joined the Hellfire Club instead of the X-Men? Uh, and yeah. Chris, I read yours already. I like yours more than mine. So I'm going to go first. So we end with the better one. <laughs> well, well and, 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 and just to point this out, you know, we went, uh, sometimes we kind of go in a silly direction with what if, but this one was, you came up with a great idea, which is basically just going back to the first issue that we see Kitty and Emma Frost initiates her and you know we kind of mentioned it before like what if Jean Grey didn't brainwash her parents and they said no you can't go to the Xavier and so you're going to go with Emma Frost so which which very quickly might have happened um so yeah I mean it, this is a this is a tangible thing that like um you know what if it just it just went the other way uh right from the, from the beginning in my version of the story Emma Frost is also going to recruit Magneto to come and help uh, get Kitty into the Hellfire Club. And at this point, when we have the Hellfire Club, Magneto was not a member of it. So this is going to be, the, the Hellfire Club is trying to build itself even more, and they are going to offer a high-ranking position to Magneto in order to help recruit Kitty because they believe she has a very, she has a lot of potential as far as uh, helping them with very specific tasks that they need to do in order to gain more power. So the reason for bringing in Magneto, though, is because of his history uh, going through the Holocaust. Now, Kitty, as we talked about already, is Jewish American. And her grandfather, Samuel Prideman, was actually placed in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Now, the whole reasoning for Magneto is to kind of lean into these feelings of humanity is depraved it is broken you should come with us because we are the evolution we are what's better we can make the world better because that's what magneto yeah. thinks he thinks he's making yeah. the world better through that kind of push and kind of leaning into what happened to her grandfather kitty decides to go with emma and magneto and join the hellfire club and they are going to teach her in ways of manipulation on a world scale, like a, in order to manipulate world leaders. So she is going to be part of this 
kind of spy group that is going to break into like the White House and um, other uh, world leaders to then get the dirt on them in order to blackmail them to push more of a mutant agenda to get laws passed that will not will protect mutants, but then will also maybe even put them kind of a little step above humanity, give them some perks that the normal humans do not receive. All the while, of course, she's also going to be robbing banks because they need a payroll at some point. Right. And what's easier than having a person that can phase through a bank wall, just leave with bags of money. Like there's, there's no stopping that you just do it. And we also wanted to incorporate a new name for, uh, for Kitty. And my choice is the Crystal Knight. And this is because every member of the Hellfire Club has a specific title that is attached to a chess piece. And of course, so we have the knight, but there normally is a color. So red, white, black. I chose Crystal that's going to kind of be tied along with uh, the Jewish faith and and kind of along those lines of keeping in mind the Holocaust. So when you have Crystal Knot or Crystal Knocked, uh, I always, I know I don't pronounce that correct, but it's the, the night of broken glass where Nazis go through these towns and destroyed Jewish businesses and homes and led to uh, just murder of Jewish families, as well as destroying synagogues. That's why she's called the crystal Knight. but rather than, because crystal knocked actually means crystal Knight. Uh, but instead, the knight, of course, is going to be the K-N-I-G-H-T, like the uh, chess right. piece. And yeah. I, I just kind of like that incorporation, of, and also Crystal, because translucent, she can phase. So there's a couple different layers to it. Love it. I, and I love the tying in her her Jewish faith and lineage and, and uh, bringing in Magneto, who also has that in his past. And um that's yeah it's, it, we, we both went the villain route because of course you know if you of become course. a member of the hellfire club you you're you're gonna go dark so <laughs> um so yeah so i had uh kind of something a little bit in in the villain route um or very much in the villain route but similar um but kind of different so uh so mine is uh, after she was brought in by emma frost she under her tutelage she embraces her darker tendencies and eventually taking over the hellfire club from sebastian shaw with emma's help and then when she's a little bit older like older teenager 18 19 emma frost is then killed by kitty by phasing emma's own diamond fist inside of her body um you know just kind of really like i'm going to be the one to take over because i have all these ideas i mean she's a genius and when you're an evil genius or a genius with evil uh you're going to want to take over and you know realizing emma is a threat she's a telepath she she has you know Jason Wingard was a threat being mastermind and, you know, taking over people's minds and like manipulating. I'm sure at that point she was manipulated by him and controlled by him and stuff like that. So she's basically taking out the threats from within and she's taking over the Hellfire Club. So at that point, now leading the Hellfire Club, she's going to go by the name the Shadow Queen. So taking up the, the the chess piece of the queen and becoming the Shadow Queen. Uh, embracing techno piracy at this point in history, you know, like the internet coming into play and having her technic techno history. Um, she's basically using techno piracy to manipulate and recruit and gather power for a much different hellfire club. 
um, which basically kind of like a uh, an elite hacker group that that disrupts organizations and and governments and things like that and amasses money, um, cryptocurrency and all that stuff. And she works and manipulates in the shadows and becomes one of the X-Men's most deadly adversaries, always literally slipping out of their fingers. So that's that would be my take on an evil future history for um, for the Shadow Queen, a.k.a. Kitty Pride. I love the Shadow Queen name. It's so good. Thank you. Well, I like that she's the Red Queen now, like that she's as the Marauders. And Emma basically said, hey, we're going to start this Hellfire trading company as as and you're the you know, you're going to be the the Red Queen as a member of the the quiet council. So I, I almost named her just the red queen. And I was like, wait a minute, she was shadow cat. Let's call her the shadow queen. That's because there is a shadow king. So it's like, it just sounds badass. <laughs> yeah, it works. It's, it's great. I dig it. I'm in. I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some fan art. <laughs> do it. From my own concept. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, it's time to close the book on our first character of 2023. Kitty pride. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Lance. Reminding you to keep your friends close. But your comic books closer. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Phase out.